check, check. Here we go. Uh, hey, once you guys have met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat. Again, happy Father's Day. Good morning. Good to be with you guys. Uh, do me a favor. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you could follow along with us. But we are in Mark chapter 6, and we are finishing Mark chapter 6. So look at that. Uh, but Mark chapter 6 is where we'll be at. Again, I just want to say happy Father's Day. Um, I know you guys know that it's Father's Day, and we just want to kind of stop and acknowledge and thank and appreciate just all of the uh, fathers, all the dads out there, all the spiritual fathers out there. Um, I know for many people, Father's Day can be a weird day, whether maybe you lost your father or maybe your dad wasn't a good dad or was never around. Uh, this is my 10th year in Florida, not being with my dad on Father's Day. And so I know that Father's Day can be tough in many ways for many people. Um, but I also know that we, need, we do need more spiritual fathers and we do need more fathers who lead their families to Christ, who point their families to Jesus, who will stand up for truth and, and lead strongly and yet lead humbly and lead graciously. And uh, we do want to just stop and just thank and appreciate all the dads and um, all that you do. And I'll, I'll be honest, one of our prayers here is God just bring more spiritual fathers who want to invest in a young men who have zeal and passion, but maybe without knowledge or experience or wisdom. And that is a prayer of ours, that God would just bring us more fathers. So we just want to say happy Father's Day. I want to read to you a quote from Billy Graham. He said this, uh, maybe you'd agree. He said, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. And we agree. And we're just praying for just more, the dads that have physical children, that they just become better dads, better leaders. Uh, maybe if you don't have kids, that you become a, just that spiritual father investing and pouring your life into others. And so we, we, we want to do, we do like a little like mug coffee thing for you guys on the way out and just want to appreciate you and thank you at the very end of service. Uh, but I want to do this and I like to make people feel uncomfortable sometimes. Uh, we do want to just pray over the men in this room. And here's why I say men. Um, if you're over 18 and even if you don't have kids, maybe one day you'll be a, a dad. Uh, if not that, hopefully a spiritual father of some sort. So we're going to actually pray over all the men. So Tim, I have two requests. If just all the guys over 18 can stand up. As you stand up, Mike Denker's going to come and pray over all of our men. So men, why don't you stand up and... Yes, come on, men. Thanks, Mike. One second. So let me just introduce Mike. Um, Mike actually leads a, a group for us on Monday nights. Him and his wife lead a group for us on Mondays. And Mike has really been a spiritual father to so many men in this room. Even our short amount of time, just meeting with them, loving them, holding them to truth, holding them to the gospel. And I so appreciate that and value that. So I just asked him to come up here and pray. So, Mike, would you just pray for all the men here? Heavenly Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, happy Father's Day. We love you, Father. We love you, Daddy. We love you, Papa. We need you. And in this room now, your boys are standing up, Father, to be men. To be men in the presence of this world, but to be boys in your presence, Father. We pray for your help. We pray for your guidance. We pray for your courage. We pray that we would lead courageously. We pray that we would accept all responsibility. We pray that we would reject passivity. And Father, that the hope that we walk through this world is the hope that heaven awaits us. The hope through the blood of your Son, Je Son Jesus Christ. Father, life on this world will not be easy, but we are to be of good cheer, for you have overcome the world. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, who saved us, redeemed us, watches over us, loves us, and keeps us whole. And so, Father, I pray now, on this day, that your sons that are standing right here among us, whether they have children, will have children, or have spiritual children, Father, that we would all rise up 
to accept the burden, accept the responsibility, and accept the mantle of raising up the society around us. It's not easy. Other people want the position, but they have no idea what it means. It's the hardest position in the world, and we receive it, Father. We accept it, but we pray that we would never try to do it alone. We look for you in everything. Guide us, watch over us, and strengthen us as we walk through these days to be dads to the world around us. And it's to you, Father, we pray. Happy Father's Day. In Jesus' name and in the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. You guys can see? Thank you. <laughs> All right. Hey, we're in Mark chapter 6, and uh, if you've been with us, we're, we're looking at this gospel as Jesus on mission. So we're trying to take the year, slow down, we're not in a rush, and we want to look at how wherever Jesus goes, he's bringing life and healing and restoration and meaning and value, and we're seeing that he's really introducing to us the kingdom of God, and he's showing us kind of this upside-down living. And here's our desire. Um, our desire is not just to teach through this gospel and kind of like get a little, you know, cool truth here there every week, but we want to join Jesus on his mission. We believe that Jesus is still on mission to seek and to save that which is lost. And so our desire is that we would participate in this, that guys, this is called the Great Commission, the Great Co-Mission, that we are literally joining Jesus, this co-mission, we're joining Jesus on this mission. And so I just hope that week after week as you come, we just grow in, in our understanding of the need for the gospel in our area the need to share the gospel with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family members, that we start to pray and just believe and ask God to save people and reach people, that we see God do something special. And even if it's not through our church, we want the name of Jesus to be lifted up and glorified. We want people to come to know him. So we're looking at this as Jesus on mission, and we're joining him in this mission. And if you guys were with us last week, we looked at a really famous story, the feeding of 5,000. Jesus took five loaves, two fish, fed 5,000 men. It is believed that he fed about 10 to 20,000 people, and we looked at this text from last week as kind of like that, that good shepherd uh, heart of Jesus. And we see these echoes of Psalm 23 in this last text that, there, that Jesus can do a lot and multiply a lot with just a little in his hands. That our God can do a lot with a little in his hands. And so we talked about the characteristics of Jesus being that good shepherd. The one that Ezekiel prophesied about and said, hey, there would be one to come who will be the shepherd of people and lead his people. And then Jesus comes on the scene. He makes everyone sit down in green grass. He, spe he feeds them spiritually. He feeds them physically. And we see our good shepherd come on the scene. It's kind of a sweet moment. And now in our text today, we're going to see the storm. And if you've, if you've been here at all, you remember there's another storm that Jesus was in before, but this is a different storm. And, and this is a different scenario. And this is a really interesting passage of scripture. Even if you're not a Christian or maybe you just heard, you've, you've heard about maybe Jesus walking on water, this is that text. And so we're going to look at Jesus entering into a storm, walking on water, and it's such a unique story. And Mark does not record the Peter passage where Peter also asks to walk on water. Neither does John. John doesn't talk about that. Mark doesn't talk about that. Only Matthew talks about Peter asking to be taken to walk on water. So we're going to not focus on that. Mark wants to focus on Jesus walking, not on Peter sinking. So that's what we're going to focus on. All right. So here in Mark chapter 6, it's just a powerful passage. And I have to say a few things. Because if you don't understand maybe some Old Testament stories or so far what we've read in the gospel— or some of the sayings of Jesus, it might not make, make the most sense at first glance. Like, I'm the kind of guy that I have to read the same thing over and over and over again for it to really make sense and sink in. And, and really, Mark's gospel is kind of that, where Mark has these little, like, undertones of the Old Testament. 
Mark kind of drops little spiritual bombs of passages from like Moses or Elijah, and we would never really catch it unless we, had, unless we really knew the full spectrum of God's word. So we're going to look at this and talk about this text, and the title today is simply this, An Unexpected Epiphany. An Unexpected Epiphany. It's almost as if the disciples are slowly beginning to see who Jesus is, and they've come to grips with him in different times, and they doubt at different times. And this is more of like an epiphany as a whole, where they really see who Jesus is. They confess Jesus as the Son of God. And so I want to look at this as that unexpected epiphany which within difficulty. That in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of a storm, again, they see who Jesus is. And it's almost like every week, Mark is peeling off these, these layers, and we're getting to understand who Jesus is more and more. Like, yes, they knew who he was, but they're getting to know him more and more. And I don't know if you ever feel that way. I don't know if you feel like, oh, I know Jesus. But then week after week goes by, and as you grow in your faith, you're like, no, I know Jesus more this week. I know Jesus more this week. And that's really what's happening here in Mark's story. So let's read. It's Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. We'll read to the end, to chapter, uh, to chapter 7. He says, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. And while he sent the multitudes away, and, and when he prayed, he, he sent them away, and he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, that's like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., Jesus came to them walking on the sea, and I love this, it says, and would have passed them by. Like what? Uh, Verse 49, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood, and this is so interesting, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. That's a reference to last week's message, to, la- to what they just went through. Verse 53, and when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret and anchored there, and, and when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. They ran through that whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they, they heard he was. And wherever he entered, into villages, cities, on the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched Jesus were made well. Let's pray, and we'll look at this more in depth. Father, again, we just thank you for this time. And we just do ask that you would speak to us. That Jesus may be a text we think we know or we think we're familiar with. God, God, you just re-speak new truths or truths that we've heard before and just maybe haven't believed or committed ourselves to, that you just speak that into our hearts. That, God, that we would take heart, for you are the I am. And, God, let's be of good cheer. And I ask that you just, just let this become more than a story. Lord, let this be something that we still see you doing today, that you enter into our storms. We just thank you, Jesus, again, in your wonderful name. Amen. So as you guys know, today is Father's Day, and I feel like a big part of being a father, being a dad, um, especially of a toddler, is a lot of my time, I feel like 20% of my time is just devoted to making sure he stays alive. Um, I don't know what it is with two or three-year-olds, but kind of that age group, that toddler age, but if it's dangerous, they find it, 
if it's poisonous, they put it in their mouth almost. It's weird how like so many times, like I had like a multivitamin just laying out the other day and he just like immediately found it, like immediately finds these things. And he's just a magnet for it. Like he comes in with scissors. I'm like, where are scissors? They, they're like locked up. How did you even find scissors? They're just a magnet for danger. Um, on Tuesday, my wife was, was gone and I was hanging out with him and we're just eating mango and he's chowing down on mango. And you know, mango's soft and mushy and like slippery, but he's just shoving it in his mouth. And on his last bite, I just see him choking. And he turns like red, starts turning purple. So I grab him, I throw him over my knee, I start him on the back. And I think more mango came out than what went in. It's just everywhere. And, and he looks up at me and he was so, he had that like sad look like, he looks at me like, I almost died. And he starts crying. And I'm like, I grab him, like, it's okay. He like looks at me like, what just happened? I'm like, you were choking. He's like, I was choking. And he looks at me and said, daddy, you saved me. And I'm like, tell mommy when she gets home, okay? You really got to <laughs> tell her. This is a great moment. But he's like, daddy, you saved me. I'm like, yeah. And I, I, there's so many moments like that where you feel like they're constantly in the path of danger and you're constantly just saving them. And it's, it's really mind-blowing. There's a road, they run to it. It's just, it's, it's, it's crazy to me. We're constantly keeping, trying to keep this kid alive. And I feel like this is what Jesus is doing. You know, there's, a, there's so many like, videos you can see of, of dad saves, and maybe you've seen those YouTube videos of dad saves, like the crazy stunts and acrobatics, like save their kids. And, and really, you kind of see this with Jesus. It's like time and time again, the disciples find themselves in a sticky situation, and just Jesus comes along, and in the right moment, at the right time, just saves them. And not just physically, but you see in the Gospels, Jesus saved them from not just physical harm, but even just like unbelief. That time and time again, Jesus c- tries to redeem the perspective of God or the Messiah or themselves. And Jesus is constantly just reintroducing, in a sense, the gospel to them, even though they've seen it, even though they heard it. It's like he constantly, time and time again, is being very patient with them and showing them who he is and who they are. And here's why I say all of this. Because when you read the gospel of Mark, we're reading it kind of in chunks week after week. And it's hard sometimes when you're weakening it in chunks week after week. We don't read it as a whole. We, don't, we haven't sat down and just read all 16 chapters of Mark. But this is how they would have read it. I mean, in the early days, they would have had someone just had maybe the, the gospel of Mark or this scroll, this book. They would have read it to the people as a whole. And, and here's what they see. If we, we just read this as a whole, and it's almost like Mark is constantly building on top of his last story. You know, you see Mark heal this woman who just has this blood infection, blood, you know, coming from her for years. Then he raises this little girl to life, and he's casting out this this demonic, this demon out of this man that no one could cast. Like, Jesus constantly one-upping himself, it seems. And when you read it as a whole, what you would get back then, what we should get today, is that Jesus is unstoppable. Like, what you would see is like, man, this guy Jesus can't be stopped. Like, wherever he's going, he cannot be stopped. And it's just growing and growing and growing, but we kind of, like, interrupt it. And it, again, like if you were to, you know, play a movie or a trilogy, no one wants to watch like an eight-part movie and start in like episode three, right? It's kind of hard sometimes. You're like, what is that character? Who are they? What's going on here? And this is what's happening, Mark, for us at least. We're kind of like stopping and pausing and looking at it as a whole and going deeper, which I, which I love. But sometimes we want to do, we do want to see it as a whole. Because Mark is building upon story upon story, just introducing to us the, the biblical, historical Jesus. And there's something about seeing him as a whole. And even the disciples are starting to see, and they've seen this before, and they've seen Jesus do God-like things. But it seems like they still constantly go back to, no, no, but that's not what the Messiah is. The Messiah is not God in their Jewish mindset. In their Jewish mind, it's like, we see him doing God-like things, but we know that the Messiah is a man. And they're slowly discovering that, oh, he's not just a man, he is God. And they're starting to have these like, slow revelations of Jesus throughout it. And so here's what we see. Uh, we see revelation of Jesus and response. Revelation and response. And really throughout the Bible, you'll see a revelation of God and a response to God. There's some sort of revelation of God and the response is fear. The response is inadequacy. Whatever the response might be, it might be just commitment. 
but you see a revelation of Jesus and this response to who he is. And so we're going to look at this and kind of break it down in this way. Uh, we're going to see the revelation of Jesus. We're going to see the response of disciples. And we're going to see the response of the crowd. So we have this revelation of Jesus. We're going to see the crowds respond. And we're going to see the disciples respond to him. And ultimately, obviously, everyone here has to respond to Jesus. I mean, at the end of the day, whatever you might view Jesus, however you might define Jesus, there's still some sort of response. And I, I love that Jesus is just patient with these guys. And he slowly, and it says their, their hearts were hardened. His own disciples' hearts were hardened, and he's being so patient at just slowly revealing to them who he is. And so let's look at the revelation of Jesus and just kind of reread this a little bit. Look at verse 45 with me, if you would. So it says, immediately, remember, he just fed 5,000. And Mark's favorite word is what? We talked about this. Immediately, immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat. He's like, get in the boat. And he made them go before him to the other side, go to Bethsaida. And while he sent the multitudes away, and then he went up with, he went, he, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. I love that Jesus sends and Jesus prays. And really, this is kind of like what we see just in, in, in our life. Jesus sends disciples. The book of Hebrews says he's constantly making intercessions, intercession for us. That we see a sending Jesus. We see a praying Jesus. He sends the, the disciples away. You go first. Then I love that's almost like he's ministering to the crowds, like he's hanging with them. He sends them away, and then he, goes, he gets alone to pray. We see ascending Jesus. We see a praying Jesus. And in really what we see here, it seems that Jesus knew, obviously, obviously knew what he was doing. He knows they're about to go into a storm. He knows what they're about to face. Almost purposely, not to harm them, but to really show there's some resilience, and it's to grow them. And so we see this mindset of Jesus that, hey, you just fed five. Like, think about this in contrast to what just happened. They just fed 5,000. They had 12 baskets left over. I mean, the disciples had a full basket each of food. Like, it's almost like they're pampered. And then now here comes a storm. And it's, it seems like so often that's just how life works almost. It almost seems like, wow, this seems to be going well. And then, wow, this is really hard. What's up with that? And that we see this kind of back and forth contrast throughout the Gospels. And so they have this moment of, yeah, Jesus he fed everyone. This is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. And now he purposely, it seems, sends them into a storm. And Spurgeon said it this way. He says, uh, their sailing was not merely under his sanction, but by his express command, they were in the right place and yet met with a terrible storm. You know, it almost seems like this is graduation for the disciples. Because if you remember in Mark chapter 4, we actually studied another storm. Jesus is on the boat sleeping this great storm arises. They're freaking out. Like, they wake up Jesus. Jesus, do you not know that we're dying? And Jesus just says, be still. And it's just as smooth as glass, right? But that time, they had Jesus on their boat. This time, it's almost like a graduation step. Jesus isn't on the boat. And he sends them. And it's almost like a new level for them. Like, they have to, like, go, okay, Jesus isn't here. The, wind, the wind's picking up. And it's almost as if Jesus purposely now testing them and seeing, did they learn from the last experience? You know, sometimes we, we feel like we went through a storm and we're like, we're done. I had one storm, that's enough. And Jesus is like, well, let's just see if you learn from that last storm, if their faith is going to be different this time. And it's not, just like us. Uh, but we see that happening. And I love this because, again, I, I have to f stop and focus. Three times in the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus praying. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, in the beginning of his ministry, we see him praying. Here in Mark 6, we see Jesus praying. Mark 14, right before Jesus is taken to be crucified, we see him praying. So kind of like in the, in the beginning part of his ministry, the middle part, the end, obviously Jesus prayed more than that, but that's kind of how Mark shows us. And it almost always seems like right before there's this intense spiritual battle, there's this prayer from Jesus. Like right before this intense moments can happen in ministry or in life, we, we see Jesus praying. 
You know, a guy named John Piper, who maybe you've heard of, he said this, until you believe that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Until you just know that life is war, you really don't understand the purpose of prayer. And so we see Jesus praying. And let's keep going. It's in verse 47. It says, now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them. He saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. <laughs> and when they saw him walking, do you ever read the Bible and like laugh to, like to yourself, like in a weird way? I don't know. I feel like I'm always reading the Bible like laughing, like giggling. It's weird. Anyways, he would have passed them by, verse 49. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. So it's the fourth watch of the night. That's, this is like according to how the Romans, the, the Jews had their different watch of the night. The Romans had their different watch of the night. This is like the 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. watch of the night for the Romans. So it's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. That means they've probably been rowing for like six to eight hours. The disciples were beasts. Let's just be honest with that. Like I, I could not last more than 30 minutes. But they're rowing for like six to eight hours into strong wind, and Jesus is watching from afar. And I love that Jesus, <coughs> I love that Jesus sends them into this, and they're straining at it. And do you ever feel like Jesus calls us to do something and we're giving all of our effort and all of our might and like, you seem to be going nowhere. And you're going, Jesus, I thought you called me to this, but why am I going nowhere? Like, was Jesus right? Should I have listened? I wonder what their thoughts were. Jesus sent us to this other side, but we're not making no progress. And sometimes it does feel like that in life where you feel like Jesus has called you to something and you're going, why am I not making any progress? Jesus, if you said it, wouldn't it be easy? And I don't know what, maybe you've been taught about Jesus or the Bible, but if anyone's ever told you, man, following Jesus is going to be a breeze. It's like, yeah, a breeze in like the wrong direction. Like, that's what it is for them. It's very difficult. And there's resilience, and they're giving all of their might. And I love this, because if you actually read John's account, in John chapter 6, he describes the same story. It says they're three or four miles. They're miles away, and Jesus is just watching them. And we need to be reminded that in the middle of this windstorm, Jesus is watching it and sees it. And please don't think for a second that Jesus does not see what's happening. And please don't think for a second, Jesus is just on the other side waiting. You know, it's not that Jesus like met them on the other side. It's not that he's just on the mountain sovereign over it. But we see him watching. And I'm so thankful we, we have a God who's highly aware of whatever storm it is we're going through. You know, it blows my mind because Jesus went on the mountain to pray. And it could have been so simple for Jesus to be like, hey, disciples, come with me and let's pray for a while. Remember, if you guys remember, like we studied this, they're about to go on vacation. Like they're about to take a break from ministry. Jesus sends them again. He's like, sends them and he goes and prays. And he, they could have had this revelation of God on the mountain, but instead they have this revelation of God on the sea. And yes, there will be times we'll have revelations of God on the mountain, but many times we have a revelation of God on the sea. And, and the sea, speaking of just difficulty and chaos, and we see them rowing and straining, and they're trying. And Jesus sees them working hard in the middle of the sea, verse 48. And then it says, he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. But the fourth uh, watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, this is what amazes me. Jesus sees them, and he walks a few miles down from the mountain, goes into the Sea of Galilee, and he would have passed them by, but he's walking on the sea. He's walking on the storm. Now, a couple things. If you remember, the sea, according to Roman and just kind of myth, like myth, like myths back in this day, the sea spoke of chaos. It was uncontrollable. No one could, you know, wield the power over the sea. Only the gods could. The sea is kind of foreign to them. And here's Jesus walking on their greatest fears. Like it's not an issue at all. I love that Jesus enters into the storm. He enters into their fear. I mean, he enters into this, and it's no issue whatsoever. 
And I love for our, to know that our Jesus walks all over our fears. Like, it's not an issue for him. He just comes walking on the thing that maybe frightened. Again, how do you not be in the middle of this moment and thinking about the last storm? The last storm where you almost died. And this time Jesus isn't with you. And yet Jesus is coming and he's walking and he just speaks of just, our God has so much power, so much authority for him. He just walks on the sea. And, and again, their immediate thought is what? And I, and I laugh because this is us. Their immediate thought is, oh, it's a ghost. Their immediate thought is, no, nothing walks on sea, so it must be a ghost. And it's not like, maybe it's Jesus. It's like, no, it's a ghost. Like, they knew it can't be natural. They knew it had to be supernatural of some sort, but it had to be some evil sort of supernatural. And they totally misunderstood Jesus. And they didn't realize it was Jesus. And again, we do this when we think, like, we're going through a season or a trial or a storm of some sort, and we go, no, no, Jesus wouldn't do this. That can't be Jesus. And yet here's Jesus walking on the sea, coming to them, and, and here's what we do see. Because there's some, so many different Old Testament things it's touching on. And there's so many different things it's pointing to. Because this phrase, I just could not stop. and had to like research and look into so much more. But it says, he would have passed them by. He would have passed them by. What was that? Is Jesus just messing with the disciples? Like, yo, that looks tough. Peace out. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> like, what is this? Why does it say he would have passed them by? And what is that referring to? What is he trying to show them? And, and why does it end with verse 52 saying, they still didn't get it. Their hearts were hardened after the loaves. That's why he needed to do this. Like, what's this about? Why did he need to do this? If you would, you can turn to Exodus, really quick, Exodus 33. And we'll throw the verse up here if you, if you can, if you don't find it. Second book of the Bible, Exodus 33. <coughs> But we see this, this phrase and this use, and this would just, when we read this, it should take our minds somewhere else. So it's Exodus 33. You might remember this story. Uh, Moses just led the people of Israel out, out of uh, slavery, out of bondage from Egypt. Moses receives the law. He receives the commandments. Moses has this unique relationship with God. And Moses asks something of God that I love, and I, this is his own sermon, but it's Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses said to God, please Show me your glory. Then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you, cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In Exodus 34, verse 6, read one more verse. It says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. If you didn't catch it, we read it four different times, this idea of, and the Lord pass by, I'll pass by, I'll pass by. You'll see my goodness. My glory, my glory. I love how God relates his glory to goodness. He usually wants to see my glory, my goodness. I, I'm going to have to pass by. I'm going to have to cover you, and you're going to have to kind of see my afterglow of my glory, but I will pass by. And it's just really interesting because the disciples didn't understand, it says in verse 52. They didn't understand what Jesus just did with the loaves. They still didn't get who Jesus was really at this moment. Their hearts were still hardened, the text says. So Jesus goes, let me pass them by. And he does this for a reason, to take their minds somewhere else. So often we see God is with Moses and with Elijah. He passes by for them to really see who he is. It's in 1 Kings 19.11. But in 1 Kings 19.11 it says, Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong uh, wind tore into the mountains. Again, we see this idea that the Lord passed by. Mark is not trying to be funny here. Mark's not trying to be like, and Jesus was going to pass by them. 
The whole idea was like Jesus was revealing himself to the disciples. I'm going to pass by. You're going to see me walking on water. Who can walk on water but God alone? Who can do this but only our God? And so he's really trying to reveal to them who he is in this moment. Because it's not just some, a weird phrase that Mark just throws in to be funny. Mark is trying to take our minds and our hearts somewhere else that we would have seen that phrase over and over again. That he passed by, he passed by. Mark is saying, look at who Jesus is. He's the one who passes by. He's the one who reveals who he really is in the midst of the storm. Because again, their mindset in the Old Testament, it talked about this in several places. I'll give you two where it talks about only God can tread on the water. Only God can walk on the water. Psalm 77, Psalm 77 it says, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. In Job chapter 9, verse 8, it says, he alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He alone treads, walks all over the waves of the sea. This is something for them. This is only what God can do. They think this is, maybe it's evil, it's a ghost, or, but Jesus trying to show them, no, no. This is who I am. I'm God walking on the waves. I'm treading on the water. I'm going to pass by. You're going to see my glory. And he's trying to show them who he really is. See, again, Mark is just genius. We see him use these phrases. We see him use these word pictures to kind of bring us back to Jesus throughout the scriptures that we know that when we read the Bible, it really speaks of Jesus. Jesus said, when you read the scriptures, you think you have eternal life, but these are they which speak of me. And constantly we're seeing Mark trying to show us who Jesus is through these kind of, this kind of language. Listen, we serve a God who walks on water. Only Jesus, only God can walk on water. He's trying to show them, like, the fears that you have, I'm going to walk all over it. I'm going to reveal to you who I am in the process. And so when there is fear and there is doubt and there is, like, frustration, we've got to remind ourselves that Jesus, we have this question a lot of times. I want to know, what is God like? Like, what is God the, fa- what is God the Father like? And Jesus comes on the scene and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're like, I want to know what God, God, like, what is God like? And it's like, Jesus is that tangible, he's God in the, fel- in the flesh. He's that tangible expression, like, we can see God taking on, like, flesh and blood, and that is in the person of Jesus. And so you want to know what God is like? We look at Jesus. And we see Jesus revealing himself over and over again to the disciples. And he's walking on the water. He's walking, and here's what's interesting to me. If you actually read this carefully, they actually weren't scared, at least from the text, so far from the storm. Like, if you read this, it doesn't say they're, they're just going into heavy wind. It doesn't say that they were afraid. They're just working really hard. They're toiling. Other passages don't say they're afraid. They're just working really hard, and they're tired, and they're exhausted. This is a different kind of entrance from Jesus. The first time, they were terrified and thought they were going to die. This time, they're just like, we're really tired here, and Jesus enters that. And this time, Jesus isn't to save their lives physically, but he's trying to save them from their thoughts and vantage point of who they still think he is. He's trying to reveal to them a different version of, of just who they thought Jesus was at this point in time. And here's, to me, the key point of all this. They see Jesus. This is where their fear comes in. And what does Jesus say? He says, be of good cheer, or literally, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, please don't miss this. Because at first reading, we would not see this, and this is, this is kind of the climax of the story. Jesus literally says, take heart, I am, don't be afraid. If you've ever read the Gospel of John, there's a lot of I am statements from Jesus. I am the bread of life, I am the vine, I am the door, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when we talk about the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, the I am statements are Jesus basically saying, he's saying this word I am, but he's associating with God the Father in it. But what he's saying literally is this word ego e me. He's going, ego e me, I am. And how it's written here, and how they would have read this, it would say, take heart, ego e me, do not be afraid. What they're reading here is the same I am statements Jesus made in the Gospel of John. So please hear this. He's saying, take heart, I am. Almost doesn't make sense. 
He's not, he's not saying it's me. He's saying, take heart, I am. And this would take their mind back to obviously Moses in Exodus 3, when God's like, Moses, go into Egypt, save my people, redeem my people. Moses is like, okay, great God, but who shall I tell them is sending me? And God's like, tell them I am that I am is sending you. Tell them I am who I am is sending you. Just tell them that. Tell them the self-existent one, the one who has no beginning and no end, the one who needs no support, the one who needs no outside source or help to be sustained in life. Tell them that I am is sending you. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he takes that same phrase and he uses it and says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is constantly saying this phrase, ego me, I am, I am, I am. And Mark just throws this in there and drops this little bomb. He's like, think again, they don't know who Jesus is fully yet. Their hearts were hard in verse 52. Jesus says, take heart, I am. And that changes everything. And please hear this for us today. Because I know that I have fears, I get stressed out, I get anxious, I have, there's so many things all of us wrestle with and deal with. And Jesus' response to that is simply, take heart, I am. Jesus is the great I am. Jesus is that I am, I, that I am. Jesus is that I am revealed in the flesh. He's literally right here claiming to be God. Because I love that people try to always say, there's nowhere in the Gospels that it says that Jesus claimed to be God. And yet it's like littered throughout just in meaningful ways. In ways that are more richer and full. Jesus says, don't fear. I am. And for them, they would have gone, he just said he's God. Like, he just said, I, I am. He, because he, like, out of context, it makes no sense. Don't fear, I am. Like, if I said that, you'd be like, well, I am what? <laughs> right? Like, if I was like, hey guys, none of you should worry because I am. You'd be like, what are you, or what, an idiot? Like, that wouldn't make sense to us. Like, no one just says, I am. People are like, I get that. That makes sense. I am. But for Jesus, this makes complete sense because he's coming on the scene and saying, guys, I am. I'm the one you've been looking for. I am, I am the great I am. I'm the one your heart has been longing for. And I love that Jesus does this great I am thing. You see this in the Gospel of John because you see this almost like I am what? I am fill in the blank. I am whatever you need. I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus comes on the scene and just goes, I am everything. I am the one who fulfills you and meets your every need. I am the great I am. And Jesus goes, hey guys, don't be afraid of the storm. It's always, it's, don't fear. I am. <laughs> It seems so weird for us, but they at that point in time go, oh no, he is. <laughs> we get it. And it, it, I love this because verse 52 has to be really clear. So we see the revelation of Jesus. And just before we move on, again, I would say please take heart. Today, if your heart is troubled, today, if you are frustrated or overwhelmed, please remember that Jesus is the I am. Do not be afraid. I, I, I think I need to always remind myself, don't be afraid. He is the I am. Jesus is the I am. Don't be afraid. So we see this revelation of Jesus. And now we're going to see the response of the disciples. Look at verse 51 and 52. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Again, this is such a weird way of saying this. But they see Jesus greatly amazed beyond measure. Matthew's account puts it this way. Matthew's account clarifies something, because uh, when I say they had this response to who he was, this is what they said in Matthew 14, 33. It says, Then those who were in the boat came, listen, and worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Please hear that. that. Jesus comes on the scene and goes, I am. Gets in the boat, the wind stops immediately, and they go, you are that. You are that. You are the great I am. You are the Son of God. For them, they, they do get it, and it's sad. Mark throws this in here. Matthew doesn't, and John doesn't. Mark throws it in and goes, their hearts were hard. They still didn't get the idea of feeding the 5,000. Like, what is, what, what's up with that? Like, what's up with that reference? Basically, right last week we studied that text. Jesus comes on the scene and goes, I'm like basically the bread of life. I'll feed you. 
But what Jesus was doing was he's reenacting something in the Old Testament with Moses and feeding them from manna from heaven. And John 6 kind of gives more clarity where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm what you're looking for. I will fulfill you. I will meet your every need. You will eat this bread and be hungry again. But if you eat of me, you'll never hunger again. Jesus comes on the scene basically, again, claiming to be God. And for the disciples, in their mind, they just got fed. Like, yes, this is awesome. We got 12 baskets of food. They still didn't get it. And so Jesus literally has to walk on the sea, wants to pass them by, show them Moses, show them Elijah, show them the glory of God. He literally says, I am. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're the son of God. He's like, yes. <laughs> right? Like, you finally get it. And those who had that front row seat to all of this still didn't see it. And I'm so encouraged by that. I'm so encouraged that those who had a front row seat to Jesus time and time again still missed it. Because I know that I can laugh and mock and make fun of the disciples, but I am, I am that. I'm the person who goes like, I still misunderstand sometimes, many times, who Jesus is and the authority he has and the authority he's given us and what he's said and what he's claimed and what he's done. And so often I misunderstand that. And I can mock them or judge them. We used to make, like, I used to like make fun of them, but that is me. I'm so that way. It's like, oh, 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 you're walking on water? You just said I am? Okay, those are pretty big deals. Okay, like, and Mark is just showing all this to reveal who Jesus is. You know, it says their hearts were hardened. This takes our mind back to the parable of the sower. This takes our mind back when he looks at Pharisees and says, your hearts are hardened. And now the disciples' hearts are hardened. So he must do this experience of walking on water, treading on water, showing them that he's God in the flesh. And again, this so encourages my heart that our God is patient enough time and time again to reveal who he is. Guys, I'm so thankful that I not just have like one revelation of Jesus. Like there's this ongoing revelation of Jesus. There is no way my finite mind can take in the infinite God in like one message. There's no way my finite mind can have like one experience or I'm in the word or whatever it might be. And I go, oh, I got, I got it. God, I got it. You're fit in here. Like, that's, like that doesn't happen. Like there's all this slow progressive revelation of just Jesus where it's like, whoa, I knew you were that, but you're that? It's like, yeah, I am. Like, whoa, right? Like there's almost a slow pro uh, revelation of Jesus. And here's the disciples' unbelief. And this is what cuts to my heart. The disciples' unbelief was simply they failed to apply their knowledge of Jesus to their present situation. When it says their hearts were hardened, when it's, when Mark, what Mark is saying is Jesus had to walk on water, tread on water, pass them by, say I am, do all of this because their heart was hardened. They failed to apply their present knowledge of Jesus, like their current knowledge of Jesus to their present situation. They had all of this knowledge. They could tell you everything Jesus did. They could say that he healed someone and forgave them of sins, that he brought someone who's dead back to life. They could tell you all these things about Jesus, but still not apply that knowledge of Jesus to their life. And that is the danger, I think, of Christianity is you grow in the knowledge of Jesus, but not in your intimacy with Jesus, not your, your faith in Jesus, not the belief factor in Jesus. We're like, I'm trusting you in this storm where I'm trusting you in this moment, in this time, that I'm apply that Jesus was asleep on the boat and got us out the last one, he'll get us out of this current one. They weren't, they're failing to apply their present knowledge of Jesus to their, circun, their specific circumstance right in front of them. Do you get it? And this is me to a T, where I can tell you stories, I can quote verses, but do I apply that knowledge and believe it and surrender to it and commit myself to it? See, just because you might have heard, I know, one of my biggest frustrations when talking to, to Christians, especially youth, when I used to be a youth pastor, they'd be like, oh, I've heard this story. I know this. And I'm like, I don't even know it. Like, like, they're like, oh, I know this. And I'm like, but do you believe it? Do you surrender to it? Do you apply that to your present life? And the thing for us is like, we might know this, but do we commit ourselves to this? They've seen everything Jesus has done and still didn't believe, and Jesus has to show them again. And still, guys, we're going to see them doubt more, right? We're going to still read other stories of them doubting, 
We're going to read them arguing. They're still going to think he's going to be the guy that takes over, you know, Jerusalem as, like, takes over Rome. Like, they're still going to think he's going to be the way they still view him. Time and time again, they, they blow it, and time and time again, Jesus is patient enough to reveal that, to them who he is. Aren't you so thankful for our God being long-suffering and gracious, that our God is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? Aren't you so thankful that our God is so patient with us? Because I know I am, because I am prone to forget. I am not prone to remember that God is good. I'm not prone to remember the, how faithful he's been. I'm usually prone to forget. Like, I'm, I'm really quick to forget all that God has done for me and how he's provided and how he showed up and who he really is. And time and time again, God is just faithful to, remember, to remind me of who he is. He's faithful to remind the disciples of who he is. And so yeah, I love this revelation of Jesus. You see the response of the disciples. We'll just end with the response of the crowd. Look at verse 53. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret, uh, and they anchored there, and when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick. So wherever they heard he was, wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. By the way, where did they land? We just read it in verse 53. Genesaret. Where are they supposed to go? Bethsaida. Genesaret is like southwest. Uh, Bethsaida is northeast. Right? He's like, go northeast. Like, okay, southwest. Like, they just go the opposite direction. And I, again, I, this really wasn't in their control. Because they're, they're trying with everything they had. And it's crazy. Jesus gets in the boat, and immediately, John says, John's gospel says, once he got in the boat, they're immediately at the land. Got in the boat, wind stops are at the land, at the shore. So John puts it, they're immediately there. And then they're in the wrong spot. And like, Jesus, I'm pretty sure you told us uh, south, northwest, or, whatever, or northeast, but why are we southwest? And it's crazy how many times I'm like, we've been confident. And Jesus did say this. And Jesus has said to us, do this. And we try to do this and we end up somewhere else. And it is fascinating to me how that works. I don't fully get it. All I know is that Jesus brought them somewhere different and that there's still ministry that needed to take place there. Like, you're like, I thought I'd be in Colorado by now. I thought I'd be in like, New York or California. And you're like, I'm still in South Florida. Jesus, help. And he's like, mm-mm, <laughs> right? Like, there's still ministry that needs to be done. There's still things that need to happen. They end up in a different area than they completely forgot or than they completely didn't think they'd be at. But there's still so many opportunities, and I just want to end with that phrase, as many as came, look at the last phrase, as many as touched him were made well. And, and this is what we just have to focus on. And as many as are, that are willing to go to Jesus will be made well. We, we don't see Jesus turn anyone away. We don't go to Jesus say, no, no, not you. Not this moment, not this time. Just as many as come to him by faith, as many as just believe who he is, they're made well. And I always think of the story where Jesus asks someone, he goes, hey, do you want to be made well? Remember when you asked someone, do you want to be made well? That seems like such a dumb question. Like, it seems like, what does that mean? Of course. But it seems like there really are some people who don't want to be made well. I remember talking to this, this homeless man on the street one time for a long time, and I go, hey, do you want to get out of this? Like, do you want to be made well? He's like, no. And then I, I was reminded at that point in time, there are certain people who just don't want that. They don't want to be made well. But as many as are willing to come to him, by no means will he cast out. As many as are willing to go to Jesus and say, I want to be made well, they'll, they'll be made well. And I'm so thankful for the patience of Jesus, the, the sovereignty of Jesus. The disciples are just probably still just awestruck, like, what just happened? <laughs> what are we, where are we at? What are we doing here? Like, the, like all of those emotions, Jesus is just like, there's a lot of work that needs to be done here. And guys, I just believe there's a lot of work just praying for us in our text. Like, there's a lot of work that needs to be done here in South Florida. And we're just praying, Jesus, heal. Heal as many, as many as are willing to come to you. You'll by no means cast out. I'm just praying for God to serve within people willing hearts. Serve within people here within our church willing hearts to bring people to Jesus, to introduce people to Jesus, to, to spread like just truth about Jesus. 
I was talking to a friend this week about my desires. It's almost weird how Jesus has talked about you can talk about any world religion, it seems, other than, like, Jesus. As soon as you're like, Jesus, like, oh, like, you're one of, and some of there's so many assumptions associated with it, and I got, like, stir within us, like, and within people, just an interest in Jesus again. Like, the person who's just, a couple billion people follow him, other world religions have different definitions and views of him, but, like, stir, stir within us a true understanding of who the real Jesus is and how the gospel portrayed Jesus, and let there just be this, like, hey, you know, there may be, maybe there's something to this Jesus thing. Maybe there's something to it. I mean, a lot of people follow him, I mean, a lot of people have given their life for this truth. They love well. They serve well. They give well. Like, they're, they're not self-absorbed. They're not self There's like, it's actually about others. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe there is power associated with this. And just praying that there'll be an interest again within our community of Jesus. Not just close, put up walls. Oh, Jesus, I've heard this before. But just introduce to them the Jesus who loves and pursues. Amen? I just want to pray. We're going to end in some worship and then close a couple of announcements and uh, pass out that little gift. Anyways, let's pray. Father, we just... Um, want to just thank you and slow down. God, I, I just think about this text and how you had such a strong heart and such a gracious and humble heart in your approach to the disciples. And Jesus, I thank you that you are that Father who is strong and yet gracious. And God, I just ask that myself, that my view of you would become more of who you really are from your word that God would not make you in my image, that I would not have certain ideas about how I think you are, who, who I think you are, but Jesus, that we'd really read this and come to know you. God, I just thank you for every, everyone in this room. And Lord, again, I just ask that you'd speak to them, that you'd reveal that you are that I am, that we would take hearts, that we'd be of good cheer, that we'd not be afraid. You are. <laughs> you are the I am. God, let that just sink into our hearts there's no need for fear, not because the storm will end one day, and not because of some other reason. The storm, will end, the storm is nothing because you are the I am. And God, just remind us of those things. Speak to our hearts, Jesus. Even as we just worship you and sing to you, we ask that you'd be on that rightful place of our hearts and our lives. That Jesus, we just fully surrender, fully acknowledge who you are. That you wouldn't just be our Savior, but you would be our Lord, and that that wouldn't be in word only. That, that you would just govern our lives. We just pray this, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. Let's stand.